Sunny 16 presents. Welcome to episode 15 of I Dream of Cameras, the podcast about cameras and camera collecting, brought to you by the gang at the Sunny 16 podcast. My name is Jeff Greenstein. And my name is Gabe Sachs. Welcome, welcome to episode 15. 15, 15. What we know does what that means mean to you. I don't know what it means. Well, I'm going to tell what you what it mean? means. What it means is okay, that go. we're doing well. People like us. Yes. People have approved of us. People are listening. And that the um, executives way above us have said right. we are going to let them continue. Do you think we're at the point where they leave us alone creatively? Absolutely not. <laughs> I do not. <laughs> I, first of all, I don't think Graham and the gang should ever leave us unattended to. It's and, true. And uh, I think that they're very brave, and I think that I appreciate them leaving us alone, but watching us closely. Yes, that's right. We've rarely gotten a note. It's unusual. I know, and that's I either good or really bad. So if it's exactly. really, uh, it could be uh, both, really. I've been in both circumstances. I've been in the circumstance where you're in such a groove I remember they said first season of Friends, Warren Littlefield said, this is the blueprint for the launch of a successful show. Wow. Pretty nice. Yeah. Pretty nice. Yeah. Turned out he was right. He was right. But I have also been at the point where like episode 15 rolls around and they stop calling you. Yeah. And they say yes to everything. And you realize, oh, they've checked out. Yeah. Yeah. They're like, do whatever you won't think you want to do. Could be either way. Could be either way. Yeah. Today was a day of adventure for both of us. Yes, this is a great day. This is very fun. Tell me about your camera acquisition adventure today. Well, I'll tell you what. So I started to ask my friend Brandon, who we know, at Studley Sedman uh, on Instagram, about uh, this camera that I missed. So I had this camera. And it was the Konica Hexar AF, and I loved it. It sort of was my answer to the G2, uh, Contax G2. I sort of just loved it. It was simple. And then a friend of mine, this amazing photographer, he really needed it for a project. And I sold it to him, and then I missed it, and I missed it, and never thought about it, and then missed it some more. And then said, Brandon, do you know anyone with this kind of camera? And he knew someone who had it. Uh, his friend William, who's also a photographer and loves cameras and can't part with things like I can't. We bought <laughs> we bo- we bonded over this very quickly. It was fantastic. And he had this camera for sale and he was down in Santa Ana and where we just were. Where we just yeah. were. And <laughs> I decided to make the trek down there, meet him, and buy this beautiful Konica Hexar silver. AF camera, and I, uh, I'm i very excited about it. Now, this is a fixed lens autofocus 35 millimeter jewel. Exactly. Right? And people okay. are very excited about that lens. So I loved using it when I had it a couple of years ago, and I really uh, need it now. So uh, very excited to try it out this weekend. How will this satisfy your soul in a way that the context does not? Uh, the Contax G2 or the Contax T2 that I have? I don't know what I'm talking about. It's sort of, you said it's sort of like the G2, right? It's, sort, it's like, it's, it's, it's to me, the G2, I never quite got right. People like, you know, mm. Brandon and 
they, they just use it flawlessly. I am not one of those people. I do not know why. So hopefully this just feels right. I like something that I don't have to, you know, do the rangefinder thing because I often miss a lot of things and I just want to have it as a backup and, uh, you okay. know, shoot around town. And I'm very excited about it. See what happens. I'm going to try it great. out tomorrow. This is very interesting. So this is an example, a rare example on this podcast of reacquiring a camera you once had and let go. Exactly. And because I bought it, I'm obviously going to let go of something, aren't I? Uh, sure. Sure. Exactly. <laughs> I knew you'd agree with that. As long as you believe that, we've said it. Yeah. Okay. I'm interested. We're going we're gonna to track this as it happens, Gabe. And here, like, can love be rediscovered? Yes. With a camera that you have let go. I'm excited. Uh, it's true. And what about you, Mr. Greenstein? I had a saga. I had oh, a saga. And I'll try to con I'm going to try and condense the prelude to the saga because it's quite tedious. I have a Leica M6 TTL. I love this camera. I never shoot with it. Why? Because the lens that sits on the M6 TTL is a 35 millimeter Sumalux, the chrome Sumalux, which weighs about as much as a full can of Coke. It is <laughs> absurdly heavy. And of course the M6 is already heavy. And so the Sumalux, I'm not complaining guys, these are gold plated problems, but the Sumalux is so heavy combined with that camera that I just don't take it out and shoot it enough. When I'm in a Leica mood, I pick up the CL, right. which is this little toss it in a bag camera. And so I was feeling bad about this. And I think particularly because your one of your shooters of choice is an M6 yes. with the 35 millimeter Summicron on it. And I Love see it. the extraordinary results you get and I get jellos. So <laughs> I started thinking, I want a 35 millimeter. And then I looked at the prices on Summicrons, Gabe, out of control. Holy cow. Yeah. Out of control. I yep. don't remember this always being the case, but no. it seems like in recent years, 35 millimeter Summicrons have skyrocketed. And not only that, that same like inflation has filtered down to the Sumeran, the Sumerit, the Sumerola, Sumitar, all the other. Everything. The Seriously. Sumitar. Seriously. That's a real one. Yeah. That is, yes. All of them. Yep. have bubbled up even like the you know 35 millimeter f 3.5 like not a particularly fast one these are like four figures they're really expensive yep so i was at a loss first i tried taking the 40 millimeter off of my leica cl and putting it on the m6 but that's absurd for two reasons one it's a 40 millimeter that's designed for use with the cl second of all the m6 lacks the frame lines it brings up the 50 millimeter frame lines True. which is terrible <laughs> so i was at a loss and we were at the socal camera show and zaire photos yes. by zaire yep. with two r's uh on instagram said to me dude you have got to look into 35 millimeter screw mount lenses because the adapters are so simple and you get standard rangefinder focusing just as if it were a bayonet mount i thought haha so That's i started it. looking at the leica glass which is still quite expensive. But then I thought, I know what I'll do. I'll get a 35 millimeter Nikkor. Because as those who have followed their photographic history may recall, it was the 35 millimeter Nikkor in Leica screw mount that David Douglas Duncan discovered when he was a Korean War photographer. And he said to his friends in the photojournalist corps, gang, I actually think this might be a better lens than the Leica lenses themselves. That's all he needed and to that, say, people. Right. And that was the genesis of Nikon as an international brand. So I thought, 
I will get that. It will right. be historical and delightful. I bought it from a seller in Japan. I put it on with the adapter. It doesn't focus. No. It doesn't focus. <sighs> so I'm going through the return process, and I'm a little bit demoralized. But then I remember that what Zaire told me was that the best of this lot was the Canon Serenar. Yes, that's true. Spelled like serene but with ar on the end it's one of those beautiful like japanese camera names yes you know and so i looked around and serenars are quite easy to come by and cheap oh that's great speaking yes comparatively hundred dollars right a few hundred dollars rather than a few thousand i found a seller in georgia my home state selling a 35 millimeter f 2.8 serenar in a leather case in immaculate condition with the accessory finder with a filter with all caps i bought it it arrived today fantastic it is so lovely let me show you look look at that thing like it was made for this machine it's pretty beautiful this lovely little focus lever it's so smooth the aperture clicks are precise. So nice. This is like an old school. It reminds me of the dual range Sumicron in yeah. that it is quite lovely from an engineering standpoint. Also, look what I have on here, Gabe. What is this? What's that? That must scare you. <laughs> That's called what they call a strap. And it, it's actually a wrist strap? strap. So this a is a wrist strap. This is how I it like starts, Jeff. Strap. Just so you know, it's gonna start with the <laughs> wrist strap. It's like, oh, I don't need a strap. And then you start using the wrist strap, and then you go. You know what? Maybe that thing, the longer one, might be a good addition to my <laughs> camera collection. I'm going to get some of those. Uh, I don't yeah. see that happening. It might. But just the fact that this compact package could be handled with a wrist strap yeah. surprises and delights me. So that is great. So I cannot wait. I loaded it up with some double X from my Ooh, loader. When are you shooting? I don't know. I mean, real soon now. <laughs> real soon now. Real soon now. I was actually, I was out on the Bayona Creek bike path today oh with my, my Roly XF35 right? shooting. And I think I may go out to another bike path later in the week and bring the M6. That'll be great. Fantastic. Be great. Yeah, so it was quite an adventure. Love that. And I should also mention the other camera I'm shooting with was a gift. Ah, uh, yes. <sighs> Gabe Sachs gave me he came to my third of july party and he brought me a hostess gift a nikonos three <gasps> uh, what a great friend what so a great happy man. that you can use it and you will enjoy it and i saw you taking pictures with it so very exciting yes yes i took some fireworks pictures i could not shoot with it i shot with it the day i got it <laughs> but here's what's beautiful and what beautifully closes the circle what is the lens on the Nikonos 3? Why? It's a 35mm f2.5 <laughs> Nikkor. Exactly the same lens formulation as the 35mm Nikkor screw mount that I had bought. Hakuna Matata yes, is what we say. Yes, that's what I always say. That's, that's the Japanese word for cameras are fun. <laughs> I didn't know that was the Japanese yeah, word. but that's no. what it is. Thank so you. Not a lot of people knew that. Not a lot of people knew that. Okay. This episode has a theme, as do all our episodes. Gabe, what is the title of this episode? This is, there's there's so many things. Fight us and fight us hard. This is fight us again. Yes. Because episode five was fight us. And we threw down some strong opinions. We dropped some knowledge on you people. It was controversial. 
Right. The headlines were full right. of intrigue. Yes. There was a lot of blowback. Yep. We're going to do it again. We're That's fearless. Right. We may lose fans over this, but we're going to do it anyway. We may lose fans. We may gain fans because we're brave. That's true. We are entering the octagon yes. of photographic opinions. <laughs> I've never actually watched an MMA fight, but I understand there's an octagon. Yeah, there's something oddly shaped. Yes, I do know that. Yes. Right. Is right. it a, is it like a cage? Is it like a Mad Max Beyond Thunderdome? Uh I guess sort of. I've only seen a little bit of it. And then when I see, you know, people kicking each other in the head, I just, I have to turn it off. Okay. Not that well, we are in the Thunderdome now. Sport. Exactly. We're in the Thunderdome we right now. We are in the Thunderdome. And I'm going to open with an opinion. Go for it. <laughs> Let's talk about Boca. Oh, boy. And I don't mean Boca Raton. No. Are you Am sure I the you don't first mean person ever to make that joke? Are you sure, are you sure you don't mean bouquet? Is that what you're trying to or say? Or bouquet, boca? Okay, Gabe, would you tell people who may not have heard this catchy term what boca signifies? Boca signifies the. I, I have to say, as they would say it, it is the background, the beautiful, curly, swirly, squarey. That's a word. Um, Designy stuff that's produced by a lens. It's the out of focus beautifulness that happens when, like, let's say you're doing a portrait and shallow depth of field and you have this beautiful background and people judge it. But yes, in addition to judging it, they also say it about 675 different ways. (laughs) And this has got to stop because there has to be an... And I think I am going to write a letter to the International School of Bokaism and figure out how that we can all agree on one way to say it. Because yeah. I'm tired of having conversations with people where people say, Boca, bouquet, and you're having the same conversation <laughs> and you're just waiting for someone to correct the other person, but no one corrects the other person. So you've got two people that are sure that this is the way you say it. And then... Um, they continue having this awkward conversation going, oh my God, that guy just said bouquet. That guy said boca. That guy, you know, anyway. Right. We need an international standard. Yes. Like we need, ISO. We need an international standard. That is the key. Very yes. important. Okay, so that's thing one. The other thing is boca is an entree to pretentious discussions of lenses and their qualities. <laughs> and you will see in the corners of camera shows huddled up, they tend to be men. They tend to be unwashed. They tend to have photojournalist vests on yeah. and maybe be toting a Halliburton case on yes. wheels yes. with six or seven cameras in it. And they talk about the bokeh of a particular lens and which lens is the bokeh king or queen. Right. Oh, yeah, yeah. A lot of that. Yeah. Here's what I have to say. Yes. The whole idea is that when you talk about the way a lens renders an out-of-focus background, it should fall away. It should be inconspicuous. It should disappear. It should be so pleasing to the eye that it is like it's background. It's literally background. Yes. When I see lenses that are hyped for their swirly bokeh or triangular bokeh, oh my God, it fills me with horror and revulsion. (laughs) I don't want that. I just want the simple 
pleasing. And this is really what it comes down to when when those men are huddled in those corners talking about this. They really are just saying the lens renders in a way that pleases me. Right. Right. There's no way to quantify it. But and so because Boca it's pushers. not quantifiable. Yeah. What are Boca pushers? Boca, <laughs> Boca pushers are like I have some I have book I have pushers and shunners on on this episode. But uh the uh the pushers are the ones that are like, you know, you have to get that because that, you know, portraits oh, yeah. are nothing unless you have this amazing circular bokeh in the background that you need to have this beautiful, you know, and it's just, I'm like, I hope people are looking at the subject that I'm shooting and yes. not so much at the bouquet. Yes. Oh, yes. <laughs> there is even, I remember I, I did buy a dual range Sumacron, the 50 millimeter Sumacron. And the main reason I got it is because when the Leica M3 appeared on the cover of Time magazine, it had the dual-range Sumacron with the goggles, and I thought it looked cool, so I needed one. Right. But it turns out that there's a cult around the dual-range Sumacron that claims that the formulation of the dual-range 50 is different than the stock 50-millimeter Sumacron, and therefore it should be more highly prized. And it is. Okay? This makes me crazy. As far as I know, the formulation is exactly the same. But for some reason, people say that the bokeh is more pleasing from the dual range. And so you got to get that. It is a cult. Yeah. No, I agree with you. I agree with let's, you. It's definitely a cult. Let's slow our roll on the bokeh. Let's just say, I like this lens. How about that? Yeah. I like this lens. You ought to try this lens. Yeah. I mean, I go. look, I like the feel of some lenses. I like the, I do like how there is a fall off or a certain blur, but when it's so, like when it's circular or triangles or squares yes. or whatever it is, and it does draw attention away, that's when I'm like, no. But guess what? Those lenses command a huge amount of money and it's nonstop. They definitely it's do. really expensive. Yes, and there are even I mean, you'll even see this sometimes in listings, usually at the higher end auction sites, about how many blades the yes. aperture has. Yes. Because it affects, like the seven blade will have a rounder aperture than the five blade. So you got to get the set. Guys, relax. Okay. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> relax. Boca bouquet. Boca bouquet. And I'll tell you, the funny thing is, I've told you about Matt Day, who I love, who's on YouTube and just such a great guy and great photographer. I remember when I first got to know him and his YouTube channel, I remember he had some live message thing or something. And I said, well, which which lens on your M6 do you feel has the best bokeh? And he's like, I don't even know. I, I don't even pay attention <laughs> to that stuff. And it just made me like him even more. It was just go. so good. Okay, I have another strong opinion. Yes. You know, there is one type of photography. There is one type of photograph that is worse than any other photographs. Hmm. What it's the absolute be? nadir of photography. <laughs> and what? I'm not talking about Cinestill shots of gas stations at night. Those are pleasing. Yes. I am talking about slow shutter speed shots of water. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yes. Oh, oh I can't yes. stand it. I'll tell you one that I like. I will actually, you what? know what? I Go will tell it. you one that I like. Do you remember the old beer signs with the water? <laughs> yes, it's those are outstanding. It's not a photograph, but it's no. It's you know, it, yeah, it has the same effect. That's great. But yes, I uh, uh, there's a lot of those, 
and you could spend the rest of your life googling those pictures and you it's won't get so through them. bad yeah it's so bad i've never seen one that i liked i've never <laughs> seen one where i went Ooh, wait a second hold on a second but they're very smooth i like when yes they're very smooth and it looks like a river of dry ice right guys Go get some dry ice or get one of those beer signs. I, it, it just drives me crazy. I see them in photo magazines and I have to quickly turn away lest it possess me. Okay. Oh, boy. Here's, yeah, those shots. All right. It's not good. Don't do that. Also, it Here's takes a lot thing. of time. Wait a minute. It takes a lot of yes. time to do that shot. Let's talk about the, the time it takes to do that. Yeah. It takes a lot of time. You have to bring a yeah. tripod. You can't accomplish that without a tripod. Yeah. Oh. So true. Oh, God. All right. Controversial. Yes. Pre-flashed films. Oh, oh yeah. Oh, Gabe. No, no, no. You're getting into the uh, artist's world. Look, if you want to take your film and, I don't know, flash it, solarize it, <laughs> expose it to light, uh, I, do it. But paying $14 for film that someone has already done that to, I think is, is absurd. It's peculiar. And I get... You know, to me, this is a cousin to the deliberate like leak school, you know, where you like you smash your Holga against the wall a couple of times right. to create light leaks or something, or you drill out the back. I've seen that, by the way, like deliberately drilling holes in the plastic shell of your Holga or your Diana to create light leaks. Gang, no, no. <laughs> I mean, I, I'm not for it, is I guess what I'm saying. I know there are artists out there that do this stuff. And we've and seen great, beautiful versions. We've seen beautiful Holgo. We've seen beautiful Lomography. We've seen all kinds of artists that do amazing stuff with those cameras. But some of that stuff feels a little forced when you're going out and drilling holes in your camera. Yes, I don't like it. I don't like modifying cameras in general by the way i have a lengthy you don't like article scratches which is on cameras that's your problem i definitely don't you don't like a little I ding def ding. yeah I, I i definitely don't like those scratches but there i have a book here that was written by a guy who is completely devoted to the olympus pen f the original wow. you know right. half frame slr and he used this as his camera for his work and he talks about all these ways you can mod it oh my god they fill me with revulsion I mean, I know it's a tool to him. Right. The same way like someone might, you know, wrap some tape around the hockey stick so you get a better grip on it. Right. I, I understand it's just a tool. But, right. oh, it just horrifies me. Right. It just horrifies me. Okay. I understand. Here is something that makes no sense to me. Okay. I often see people deliberately not removing the dust from their film scans. I, You know what? Yeah. Because there's not what, supposed to be dust there. And that used to be the thing as a younger photographer where I would get in the dark room and I would do everything, I, you know, the blower, the dryer, the everything you do to make it perfect and you, the cleaner, everything that's going to avoid. And then there would, of course, inevitably be those two pieces of dust right over the person's eye, which made me crazy yeah. when I made enlargements. But yes, not in... Why? Uh, it's a thing. I don't get it. It's Why a thing. leave it on there? I mean, even like you think about the great photographers Ansel Adams springs to mind he had people painstakingly going over his prints with India ink to blot out the scratches and dots because right. you want an image that doesn't draw attention to itself as a photograph okay now one could argue black and white photography is not a depiction of reality because reality is color blah 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 I don't care <laughs> yes L I give it. me the illusion I, I don't understand deliberately leaving those things on and refusing to Photoshop them out. It's really right. peculiar to me. 
It doesn't make sense to me. Here's another thing that doesn't make sense to me. <laughs> You're on a crop roll, Crop snobs. Crop snobs. Oh, yes. No, yeah, I know. It's not how the picture was photographed. Do not adjust. Are you yeah. a cropper? Uh, I, yeah, I'm occasionally a cropper because there's uh, inevitably someone in the background that I don't want to be in the picture. Yeah. Is that so horrible? One of my favorite photographs, it's actually a photograph that I have in my house because my grandmother collected photographs briefly, is the Arnold Newman portrait of Igor Stravinsky. Nice. Which I believe you've seen, yes. right? It's He's sitting at the end of the piano and the piano lid is raised and propped up so that it resembles like the lowercase letter B, like the symbol for a flat. It's so cool. And in his book, Arnold Newman Portraits, he shows how the crop came to him. He had taken a lot of different shots of Stravinsky at the piano, over the piano, behind the piano, at the keyboard, whatever. This shot came to him in the post-production process. Gabe, how many times have you found an episode in the edit? Oh my gosh, right? a million. Yeah, exactly. Right? You and discover a, movie, a narrative device or yeah. something in the edit or some rhythm in the edit or you move scenes around in the edit. Does that mean it's not the episode you shot? Right. That's insane. Right. It's about creating the thing, putting across the emotionality or the story that you want to tell. I don't understand crop snobs. It doesn't make sense to me. But if you look at millions of, um, you know, tons and tons of photography books and behind the scenes stuff, you will inevitably see, you know, negatives and and proof sheets that are cropped. You see the, oh, yeah. you know, you see the grease pencil and showing you where they cropped and, and Avedon and on and on. You see it everywhere. I love books of contact sheets. I have like five of them. I think they're great. I have, there's a book of Magnum contact sheets. It's Magnum photographers and their proof sheets. There's a book called Contact Theory, which I love from Lustrum Press, which shows contact sheets for famous pictures. I love seeing how this stuff is yep. arrived at. It's fascinating. You know that like the famous photograph, Migrant Mother by Dorothea Lange. Yes. The famous photograph. Yep. Do you know there's a thumb in that picture? I There's did not know that. I didn't know that. Sneaking into the edge of the picture that was airbrushed out. Is it not authentically a portrait of a migrant family during the Dust Bowl? Does yep. the thumb make it more authentic? No, it's absurd. I'm with However, I do want to recommend a book since we're talking about objective truth in photography. Errol Morris, the filmmaker probably best known for Thin Blue Line, Fog of War, Apple commercials. He wrote a book called Believing is Seeing, Essays on the Mysteries of Photography, I think is what it's called. Mm -hmm. This book's about from five or 10 years ago. It is about deception in photography and how wow. what we see in a photograph may or may not be true. He starts with the famous photograph in the aftermath of the, I think it's the Battle of the Bulge, called Valley of the Shadow of Death or something, with the right. cannonballs right. in the empty field. Oh, yeah. And he tries to run down the theory that maybe the photographer placed the cannonballs to create a more dramatic shot. Right. And ultimately, he goes as far as like trying to get the charts of the sun's position in the sky to see if the shadows are authentic and see if he can tell which is the before picture and which is the after. Ultimately, I think it's almost like impossible to tell, but his strong suspicion is that the cannonballs were placed, and what difference does it make? Doesn't. I think a great right? picture is a great picture. I really do. I think yeah. if you're happy with the picture, it's great. And when I was at the Battle of Bulge, I don't remember yeah. placing him there. That's Just right. So you, know. you know, as Benjamin Franklin once said, <laughs> don't believe everything you see on the internet. 
Exactly. And Benjamin <laughs> Franklin told you that personally, so that's really interesting. That's so, right. Yeah. I love I that. mean, this is an interesting topic for debate, and since we have said fight us again, I want to hear from you guys. As Please. you know, we have an email address, idreamofcameras at gmail.com. It is clotted with junk mail right now. <laughs> Invitations for auto warranties and uh, <laughs> sexy girls in Thailand that want to meet me. Obviously. Thanks to whoever signed us up for those lists. Right. But push back on all this. What do right. you think? Photographic authenticity, is it important to you? Next up, isn't it wonderful when you go to, for example, Analog Wonderland or you go to the Film Photography Project or even go to more mainstream outlets like Freestyle or B&H and you see a rainbow of films yes. that are available. Tons of films. Films from all over the world, custom branded films, yeah. films that are made like film washi that are made in somebody's dorm room. Colorful okay? packaging. Colorful packaging, beautiful packaging like Stephen Dowling, Cosmo Photo. Isn't it wonderful? And yet, how many companies actually manufacture film? Yeah, this is the uh, Costco theory. It's like, who is making that yeah. Kirkland stuff? Batteries? Who is making the Kirkland stuff? But yes, who is film. making? Yeah. Yes, who's making your Trader Joe's breakfast cereal? Yeah. I would like a chart, please, of who manufactures the films. Yeah. I just really want to know because that coating film technology is, there are six companies that right. make that. FOMA, Ilford, Kodak, Fuji, and two more. <laughs> and like, I would like to know. I think it would be really interesting to know. I don't mind that, for example, Cosmo Photo, I believe that is rebranded FOMA Pan. I don't have any problem with that. I like to support Steven and his enterprise. I think it's neat. Right. He has a new Kickstarter up for his um, Agent Shadow, which again is a rebranded film, but it's a graphic novel and it's like there's a whole mythology associated. Awesome. But I would really like a website that tells me who makes my film. Well, I think we should get an attorney. And yeah, under, there you go. Under the uh, Film Production Information Act. Act. I'm sure there's, yes. I'm sure there's something like that somewhere. Yes, yeah. yes. I think we should, I think we should um, take some action and say we demand to know where our film is made. Do you care? Am I the only person who cares about this? Do you care? No. I mean, no, I, I like what I like, and I just, I, there's so much film out there, but I, I do like the uh, old standards. Like, I really have not gone, you know, you, you've been much more experimental, and you've, you've sort of shot in a bunch of different films, and I've stayed uh, straight ahead for some I have, reason. Yeah, I sort of have a bunch of, like, old reliables. I mean, when I discovered Double X, that became, like, yeah, far I gotta away get my into favorite. That. And the contrast. Double X is and, great. Yeah. I have 100 feet of double X in my bulk loader. I love it. Beautiful. But yeah, I've tried some offbeat stuff. But I guess I would like to know if there's a $12 film that is just rebranded FOMA, which I can get for $4, I would kind of like to know. Yes. I think I would like to know. Okay. Yeah. Yep. Here's a strong opinion that is silly. You ready? <laughs> <laughs> LCDs are not as cool as LEDs. I think LEDs are like having an AOL.com email address. Is, there was a time when it was uncool. But it's very cool now. I get it. But it's it, very yeah. cool now. And that noise it yeah. made, the whole thing. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. I think if you have a camera that has LED lights in the viewfinder, it's automatically cooler than one that has an LCD panel on top. And also, what about the fact that LCDs leak now? 
Yes. When they get old or something? Yeah. Have you experienced this on, I guess it's a contacts G2 problem? Yeah, I did not experience LCD, it, but I've seen them. LCD? I've seen how they look and they just, it's its not great. You would go crazy. This would not be your oh. thing. If you oh, saw it's the worst. a tiny digital leak of anything, you'd go crazy. <laughs> it's the worst. Like I can almost tolerate a small hairline scratch on a surface of brushed aluminum. If I can almost, if I don't think about it too much. But the juxtaposition of a crisp, clean digital numeral, and then a, oh my God, I can't even say it out loud. It, <laughs> it's re, it revolts me. Yeah. It fills me with revulsion. I yeah. revile it. Oh, so I couldn't buy. I started shopping for a Context G2, as I think we all do at some yes. point. And I started noticing when they would single out whether they have a leaky LCD or not. I think this is also a problem on um, the uh, X-Pan. Really? The X-Pan, yeah. This is like a thing. Any camera with an LCD readout, but certain ones, certain LCD suppliers. Uh, oh, it, oh, it. And then I it can't eventually gets where it. you can't read them at all. I've seen that. That's ridiculous. Yeah. You can't see anything. Yeah. I would rather have no readout. Right. I think it was, I think Matt loves cameras. I think he said that he had a camera, maybe even the contacts, where the LCD panel had just died. Ugh. I could accept that more. I right. would rather not know what's happening inside the camera. Exactly. Then have to look at, a, oh God. So frustrating. Oh, that's bad. Okay. <laughs> we alluded to this in the past, but I just want to get your take on this. Okay. I'm going to coin a term, maybe because I want our graphic designer, Keith Greenstein, to make a t-shirt about it or a mug. The Scannenberg uncertainty principle. Okay. We have talked about this a little bit, that when you are scanning black and white, it's pretty straightforward. You invert, maybe you tweak the curves a little bit. But when you're getting into the business of scanning color, you do it by eye. I was trying to go with one of these automated things like grain two pixel or negative lab pro. Mm -hmm. I was trying to use those and I was having disparate results, let us say. And I was talking to Ethan Moses about it, who I guess used to work in a one hour lab and talked about it. he had did every single frame by eye. And he sort of told me about how to do that. Okay. Here's my question though. If you do it by eye, is the color, contrast, density, is it real? And does it matter? Does it matter? Like if I jack up the no. contrast on Panatomic no. X to make it, you're already answering my question. No. You don't think it matters? No. You don't think it matters whether it's real or not? No, because when I was in the dark room or all these artists are in the dark room, you see the, you know, think about the old like war correspondents and war photographers that projected their images, you know yeah. what I mean? Onto gigantic sheets of, you know, paper and right. they're dodging and burning and it looks like an, you know, sure. a dance routine. Is that not authentic? It's like he's he's taking the viewer to where you want to see it or she's, you know, it's, she's taking your, your eye to a part of the photograph that she feels is important as an artist. And that's how I feel. I think that, you know, whatever you do to get that, it's your choice. Yeah. I mean, again, it's a fine line between, uh, you know, artistic manipulation and creating things that aren't there. And I think it's a judgment call photograph to photograph as to whether you like it or not. I don't like HDR photography, for right. example. I know that some of those images are super cool looking 
And in many cases, by layering, you know, images at different exposure levels, you get an interesting, you can see details that you wouldn't see otherwise. I don't like it. Right. It's super fabulous. It's like that experiment, what was it, Peter Jackson did with the uh, Hobbit movie where he chose a higher frame rate because it was ostensibly more authentic. Right. And everyone was, was revolted by it. Or like motion smoothing yeah. on your TV, which you should all turn off. <laughs> I just wonder about it. I wonder about whether it's real. And I wonder if, if there's a particular quality to a tri-x negative that I like. I often wonder how much can I bend the curves in Photoshop before I am beyond what Tri-X is really giving me. Well, yeah, but think, um, again, go back to all those photographers. I mean, you start, they're all cropped. They're all adjusting yeah. things. They're exposing them longer, exposing them shorter. They're doing all these things, which is just that version at the time of what was available. And now we are in a, a place where we could, you know, change or manipulate even more. But I think that, I, I I just literally compare it to that. I don't I don't yeah. have a problem with it. I have a problem with replacing stuff and things like that. But I do like. Um, I think it's fine. You know, darkening, lightening. You know, contrast. What about uh, you know the famous photograph of the D Day landing? Mm -hmm. Right? Is it? It's terrible that I don't know. I want to say it's Robert Kappa, but I might be wrong about that. You know, the famous photograph where yeah. the negative was literally drowned in salt water and yes. they had to salvage the negative. And as a result of water getting into the canister with the film, there's all sorts of kind of like circles and shadows on the frame that really weren't there in right. the image. Right. It's part of what makes the image arresting and compelling. But at the same time, it isn't real. It's more dramatic but it's not real. And yet it's a classic image. So what do we do with that? I don't know. It's you interesting. Know, to me. I, I, yeah. I think it's just fine as they say. All right. I think I've been a little bit uh, negative. <laughs> I want to say something is awesome. All right. Great. Do you know what's great is bulk loading. Bulk loading is great. Why do people shy away? I don't. What's the problem? Help me out here. Why don't people what, do it? Uh, First of all, I, if you haven't noticed by now, love a great deal. And yeah. I love that you can bulk, bulk load and it's cheaper the more you bulk load for a roll and you could do your own sizes and how many frames and, and on and on. I think people think it's more difficult than it is. And it's really not. And that's the only reason I think that people don't do it. I think that it's easier to just grab a roll of film, but I think we're in a time where some film is so expensive that you Yeah, well, like, I just want to encourage people to try it because I had the gear and I had the fear for a really long time. Now I don't understand. I mean, there is that moment. There is definitely a moment when you have your hands in the changing bag and you have your eyes closed because you're Gabe Sachs and you're trying to make the room darker. Wait, um, true. It definitely works. And there is that moment where you gently extract the 100 feet of film from the plastic bag that's inside the light tight box and so forth and you realize oh i don't want to screw this up right and it's yeah it's a little nerve-wracking but once you're past that point and you have it securely in the bulk loader what a joy not only can you as you said you can spin off rolls of any size you want right. 36 38 12 10 it's great for testing cameras but the other thing is it's like having a film shop in your home 
Right. You know, and it takes up very little space. This is something that nobody ever told me when I got thought about bulk loading was 20 rolls of film, which is how 18 to 20 rolls, which is right. what you would get out of a hundred foot roll. takes up a lot of space. Exactly. I mean, 20 rolls, that's a lot. The bulk loader takes up hardly any space. Right. And it's, it, I guess you could say it's environmentally friendly in addition to being cheap. You're not throwing away a film canister or a film box. Right. Right. It's so much fun. Pick a black and white film stock that you like. Get it in 100-foot rolls. Uh, oh, my God. All of these bulk loaders are so cheap now. Just buy one on eBay. You can get yeah. – I have a – I think it's a Wayne bulk loader. I think I'm right about that. They're great. They're all, they all have different pros and cons. You can read a million things about, should I have a felt tra- light trap? Should I not? <laughs> Super fun. Right. Absolutely have fun with it. Love However, that. I did have a misadventure. Oh, yes, you did have a misadventure. Now, this was me getting a little too cute with my bulk loading thing. What I had been doing for my initial couple of months when I was first getting into this was I was saving all my canisters. After processing in the lab box, the lab box has a razor that cuts the film and I would throw it in a jar and then I would fish those out and I would use that again. I would leave enough film sticking out so that all I had to do was take some packing tape and tape it to the stub of the film coming out of the bulk loader and I would reuse it. But I decided to get cute. (laughs) I wanted to buy my own bulk loading canisters, right? Turns out that the canisters that you get from B&H, Freestyle, the plastic ones, a lot of people don't like them. I'm not quite sure why. They talk about scratching. They talk about them popping open. So I did research And people kept talking about the Kodak snap cap system that Kodak made in the 70s and into the 80s, which was a metal canister where the end pops off when you push on the stub end of the canister and then you can pop it back on. It's light tight. So I had, I bought a dozen of those new old stock on eBay and I was using those very happily. And I was using this one canister over and over again. And when I was putting a test roll through the Rolly XF35, I got a lot of strange patterns on the film that looked like bad developer and so i thought well does the camera have a light leak do i need to throw out my df96 so i threw out a perfectly good cord of df96 and bought a new one tried that that wasn't the problem sealed the camera with black tape ran another roll through that wasn't problem it turns out my canister had developed a light leak oh so that was but like a film detective. But you were a film detective it, is what happened. I was a film detective, but this is the thing. It was a problem that was created by bulk loading that right. was also solved by right. bulk loading because I could spin off a couple of reels very, very quickly and process them and ultimately get to the bottom of it. So there I have ordered go. the plastic canisters that nobody likes, and we'll see how that goes. Nice. Well done. We'll see. We'll see. But but I'm hooked on it. I, I right. don't see myself buying 35 millimeter film in a box in the immediate future. Unless it's like T-Max 3200, which I don't think comes in 100-foot rolls yet. Right. Hmm. Yeah. Nice. I'm almost to the end of my strong opinions. How about you, buddy? What do you got? Oh, I've got... uh, Let's talk about meter shunners. Let's talk about them. That's... uh, What's a meter shunner? Something I feel... Well, obviously by the title, Jeff. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Uh... So I was at a camera event and I had my M6 on my shoulder and it was a little hidden, but having this conversation with someone about (laughs) metering and, you know, 
you know, he had this really cool, I think it was an M2. And we were just talking about the cameras and, and he started to go on about how ridiculous it would be. There's no need for a meter in a camera. Hmm. And you can just... Oh, in a camera at all. Well, you know, you can just judge it by yourself and there's so much latitude and, you know, it's ridiculous. So now I'm like, uh, and of course I'm so like, he's so, you know, engaging in this conversation. So what am I doing? I'm agreeing with him. I said, of course, of course, (laughs) for no reason. Meanwhile, I'm trying to hide the M6 more behind me because now he starts talking about those lights and how those lights are so distracting and... And it takes away from the photograph. And I'm like, yeah, it does. Of course it does. I'm with you on that. (laughs) I absolutely believe you. You're absolutely right. You should be so passionate. And uh, as I slink backwards, as you know, it's look, I love meters. I feel more comfortable with a meter. I feel more comfortable with any kind of meter, like an external meter. And I'm not the best judge of light, but. I, as we discussed, I will start doing that in the next couple of weeks, start learning it and start doing a better job of it. But I, I really like the meter and I um, realized like I was like, oh, my gosh, why am I feeling bad about using a meter? So uh, meter shunners, that's what I'm calling them. Yes. You know, I hear a lot when people are talking up Leicas that, you know, the uncluttered frame of the M3 and some people don't even like frame lines. They definitely don't want little light up dots in the viewfinder. What's wrong with you? Come on now. Right. You can't frame a shot. You feel like it's purer somehow. I don't like purity tests in general. I just don't. And I know that a couple of things that I've said in the course of this hour sound like purity tests, but they're not. I am like, you be you. Yeah. If people love the clean frame, fine, but keep it to yourself. Right. Right. (laughs) You, you know, enforcing that, like it's not real photography. If you have to check your reading or I'm a badass because I don't crop or because I, you know, shoot a Leica M3 and I never carry a meter with me. Come on now. Right. Right. Lighten up. And that sort of, uh, (laughs) it goes right into my next thing is I you look the fun thing about beers and cameras or any of the camera meetups or the darkroom slash beers and grandmas meetup is everyone's enthusiastic. It's like the greatest yeah. it's such a great group of people and everyone's excited about the same thing. So, you know, where you usually talk to people and they're like falling asleep after three seconds, everyone's like excited and engaged and it's so much fun. But occasionally you will be out on the street and you will see someone with a camera, a film camera, and I immediately go up to those people and I go, oh my gosh, what are you shooting? That's so cool. And there's nothing there. And I spoke about this, I think, on our first episode, but it's the non-enthusiastic, cool camera people. Like the people, which, people, which are none yeah. of, obviously, beers and grandmas, but there are people out there that you just want to, you want to go, oh my gosh, you got to come to one of these events. And they're just like, yeah, man. Yeah, it's cool. Yeah. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, it's I, yeah. a Leica. Yeah, it's a Leica. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. I had that happen to me. I was at the Huntington and I spotted somebody with what was obviously a Leica of some sort. And I said, oh, well, what do you got there? Is that the M9? He said, M10. <laughs> I was like, relax, dude. Really. So good. Really. Relax. You know, this is, I think I probably talked about the red stripe Adidas and the blue stripe Adidas. Have I talked about that on this show? No, no, no. That to me is like a blue striper. Right. I'm better because I have the blue striped Adidas. Right, right. No. 
it's yeah, not that's, better. That's the 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 one thing that um, the one interesting thing, and this is just a ridiculous one, but I I bet I know why this happens. <laughs> there are occasionally grumpy camera repair people. I don't know if you've ever run into oh, this. Oh yes, but there are occasionally grumpy camera repair people. Now I'm not saying they aren't geniuses at what they do. I'm just saying that sometimes they could have a little more of a conversation as yeah. I always feel like I'm going to step on the wrong or say the wrong thing. Yeah. And they are going to just not do as good a job on my camera. So I'm always like, absolutely, whatever you say. <laughs> like I always, you know, but sometimes you get the person's like, yeah, this is it. This is when you get it back. That's it. That's the end. Okay. It's a little like, you know, I was thinking about it because this is episode 15. We have now done more episodes than Faulty Towers. Oh, so excited. Isn't and that great? I mean, which means, yeah. Yeah. I mean, which means we're better. <laughs> anyway, the whole bit was the inspiration for Faulty Towers was John Cleese stayed at a little hotel in Northern England. And it was very clear that the proprietor would have been happier if he had no guests. Right. <laughs> And that's who we based Basil Faulty on, was like the, the, the hotelier who really would prefer if the hotel were empty, then right. his life would be perfect. I think sometimes you run into that with camera repair people. There was a camera shop. It is now gone. A camera shop in Atlanta. And it was the best camera shop in Atlanta. I think it was called like Dr. Photo or something. Oh, wow. And I would go there every time I was in town because he had the most exotic equipment. He had, you know how I have the Rectiflex that I yes, like. Yes, yes. Okay, Rectiflex, the only Italian SLR. When Rectiflex was on its last legs, the company was bought by a concern in Liechtenstein. Right. The second smallest country on earth? Third smallest? <laughs> okay. So there was a very limited run of Liechtenstein Rectiflexes. He had one of those on his shelf. They go for $10,000. Wow. You know? So the thing is, there was like a passcode at Dr. Photo, where he would ignore you. And then if you exhibited knowledge of something like, oh, is that a Liechtenstein? That's so Rectiflex, good. That's He fantastic. would kind of look up. Yeah. As if you had said, you know, the velocity of an airborne swallow or whatever the thing right, was. Right, right, right. Monty Python, right? This is an all Monty Python episode. And then suddenly he would take an interest and he would come wait on you. But he really seemed like a guy who would be much happier if he had no customers, and eventually the shop went out of business. The thing that haunts me, though, yeah, all the amazing cameras that he had. Where'd they go? Where'd they go? Yep. Yeah. You know, like I, I told my story in an early episode about my Nikon SP yeah, that came so from good. Zvi's glass case. What happened to the cameras from Dr. Photo? I would right. really like to know. If we have any listeners in Atlanta who know the answer to that question, I would really like to know. But anytime you talked about photography with a photographer in Atlanta, they'd go, oh, that guy. Right. Like, it was like a known thing yeah. that this guy was impossible. I get it. Yep. I don't run into that all that much. You're right, though. The community in general is very embracing, but there are oh, still so good. A little, there's a little bit of snobbery. <laughs> People don't like the fact that it's getting democratized. See, I don't have any problem with that. Right. I hope none of this comes across as any sort of resentment or animus against the fact that the photography community is growing larger and that younger people are getting into analog photography. Which it is we the love. greatest thing in the world. We love it. Yep. It's the greatest. It's the greatest. And I think in general, it's a very welcoming community, but there are those old cranks. Oh, or there's one out of a thousand photographers that you just want to 
have a conversation with about a camera in between yes. meetups and yes. uh and they're not uh, they're like yeah man thanks thanks and then yeah. they go back to their latte since we are on a positive note and since we are about to round out our hour i want to mention well for example we are recording this episode on the 12th of july yes we are I believe this episode will air on the 13th or 14th of July. Like, pretty much as soon as I can smash it together, it goes up. This is an episode probably that is recorded closer to air than any I Dream of Cameras episode yet. Yes. Why is that, Gabe? Is it because we have lives? No. I don't think that's it. (laughs) I do not think. I will never blame that on uh, that because I would sit in this room and record these nonstop. I feel the same way. It's very wonderful. I love that you said that. I would go nonstop and couldn't have more fun. And I'm very excited of the prospects of us going to do these live-ish. Yes. Well, that's one of the things I was going to say. So we're going to try and deliberately deliver a little closer to air because we want to be able to talk about current events and current things that are going on with us, but also because... Uh, we want to try and do some more live stuff. We enjoyed our interviews, but we really want to do one live from the SoCal Camera Show. So that's one thing I want to mention. Please go to their Instagram. If you're in Southern California, they are at SoCal Camera Show on Instagram. We will be at their next event, and we may be recording. I think so. I so think come it's there and happen. fight us. We're going to be mobile. Go there yeah, and so fight us. Like anything Tell us. That we have said, yeah. Please come up to come us. Come there with us. your LCDs are awesome <laughs> takes. Right, exactly. So that. The other thing is that something super cool happened since we last recorded, and I know that we have mocked and derided Polaroid on this show, but they did something great. And when I say that they did something great, I'm not saying that they came out with a Teva Polaroid (laughs) that comes with sandals. What they did that was great was they brought back black and blue duochrome. Oh, my God, guys. Gabe, have you shot with duochrome This is the crowd. We now have a crowd. We have sound effects, by the way. yes. Yes. Duochrome rocks. It's so good. I had the rainbow of duochromes in my fridge, and I eventually used them all up. I had orange and black, red and black, Courtney Barnett, the yellow and black, Jack White. They have brought back blue and black. Oh, it looks so good. And if you don't know what duochrome is, gang, just imagine a black and white photograph, except all the white is tinted blue. It looks like an old Blue Note album cover. It's really cool. I think the blue is my favorite. Yeah. It's fantastic. They're all great. So what I want to urge you guys to do is let's support Polaroid. Buy some Duochrome. Order for, the only place you can get it, I think, is from their website. That's why I bought three packs from their website. Try it. It is super fun. We have quibbled about color rendition in Polaroid stock. This has no color rendition, guys. Nope. Nope. It's easy as pie, but you will really like the results. Do some searches for Polaroid Duochrome stuff. It will get up in your head. You'll make, it'll make you want to use it. Really good. It's very exciting news. Anything else? Any other current events uh, we need to talk I, I, about? I don't think there's any current events, but I, you know, encourage people to get out there and look for vintage cameras because, you know, I say that, you know, we often say that it's all picked over, but it really isn't. New stuff is coming into these thrift stores all the time. And yes. uh, you can actually find, especially if you're just starting and you just want to try it out, even if it's a point and shoot or you know, if it's a camera company you hadn't heard of, but works, it's it's worth getting that camera and trying it out because there are tons of thrift stores and tons of antique shops and it's worth searching. Yeah, and you know, 
in spite of the fact that you will hear us and lots of other people talk about what the best starter camera is, ignore it. Ignore it. If you can find a Minolta Maxim 400 SI for five bucks at your local thrift store, buy it. Yep. You know, my former writing partner collects hobbies. (laughs) And he had this pattern that his name is also Jeff. He had this pattern. He always, whenever he got into something new, he would immediately buy the highest end thing. Yeah. If it was cycling, he would get an Italian racing bike. If it was fly fishing. I totally know this. This whole feeling. I understand it. Yeah. I bond I with it him for that, having yes, never had that I conversation it. with him. Yes. But he would go right to whatever the Super Pro edition was. Right. And his his rationalization was, well, if I really get hooked on this hobby, I'm eventually going to get that thing anyway. Why not start with the best? I understand <laughs> that point of view. Yeah, totally. But I don't want the fact that a Pentax K1000 now goes for two to $300 to be a barrier to entry. If you right. find some awful, like... Pronia. I don't even know what a pronia is. I, I, just I think that that's word. an exam by a doctor, but never mind. Go on. <laughs> I think that's uh, that's not a camera. If you see an SLR in the glass case at your Goodwill and it works, buy it. Start shooting with it. If you're yep. a beginner, start shooting. Do not let that hold you back just because it isn't the AE1. Right. AE1s are fine, but you know what else is great? Canon EFs. Yeah. And they go for $25 as opposed to yep. 250 Yep. Start shooting, okay? Don't let the, like, Vogue get in your way. Right. Agreed. Isn't that a wonderful affirmative message? Yes. A wonderful affirmative message with which to close out (laughs) a triumphant episode 15. Yes. Episode 15, people. Yes. Episode 15. We want to encourage you once again. We are now... Emails are down to a trickle, guys, except for, as I said, the junk mail. So... Write us with your strong opinions. Also, let us know if there's something we haven't covered. You know, yeah, we'd love to. If there's we'd something love you to want to talk about whatever. that we haven't talked about yet, we're more than happy to oblige. And come see us at the SoCal Camera Show. We will be there. Follow us on the Instagrams. Gabe Sachs is Gabe Sachs. I'm S. Jeff Greenstein. The S stands for Scott. That was my mother's idea. And uh, <laughs> we have to thank our amazing Keith Greenstein who does our logos and our beautiful artwork, and then Fred Corey, who does our incredible theme, and both of them have shot their cameras, and it's oh, very, yes. very, very, very exciting. We will talk about that next yes. episode. I know that Keith, is, who is copywriter on Instagram, has already posted some of his, of his Ferrania P30 shots from his OM1. He is totally hooked. Fred just got his shots back, and he loves it. He's so excited. That's great. Great. So, yeah, check out those gentlemen, Fred Corey, Keith Greenstein. This concludes a highly opinionated episode 15. Yes, we're not always this opinionated, but this is one of those episodes. It is. That's right. So we will be back in two weeks with more fun and frolic. Exactly. Any final words for our listeners? My my final words is, please, people, stop buying cool camera bags. Because (laughs) it only makes me want one, and it makes me crazy. And this doesn't stop at the camera show, at Beers and Cameras, on and on. I see ca- I see unbelievable camera bikes I've never heard of. And all I do is drool. So please, people, put a stop to it. Thank you. There you go. Help him. Thank you. And good day. Good day. Good day.